0: Am I on? Can you hear me? All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, Whoa. All right. Got a little feedback, but where can I put my water? You think I'm just done here? All right. Hey, before I get started, I just want to, all of us just, if we could, just, can we just pray, Reagan? Just, I want to pray. Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord God. Father, I'm just, just, uh, I just want to disc- all of us, Father God, to extend our faith for the Hub family, Lord God, and for Reagan, Lord God. I just pray even the faith that the two spies, Lord God, that saw the giants in the land, as we're seeing maybe some giants potentially, Father, that the two spies said, man, that's okay, there's giants, but we can take this. We got this. We're going to do this. And Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would just surround their, their family, Lord God, and just put your arms around them. Father God, just comfort them during this time. But Father, give them the faith of those two spies, Lord, to believe that we can overcome the giants in the land. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Well, before I get started, I want to introduce a couple people that I brought with me today. Um, the first guy is Kyle. He's from Call to Greatness. He's here. Kyle, stand up, wave to some people. All right. There you go. Thanks, Kyle. He works at Baker University. And then I have a, a, a new friend. Uh, he's from Ger- all the way from Germany. Fabio. Fabio, you want to stand up? Say hi. All right, there you go. He's a soccer player at Baker. And then my other friend, who you're going to hear from in a little while, is Massimo, also a soccer player at Baker. Um, so thanks for coming, guys. Appreciate you having you, having you here with me. Um, well, I want to start today living on mission. Um, and, and really, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that the overriding mission is to make disciples. I mean, you, if, you, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any t- period of time, you know that making disciples is our mission. And in fact, Jesus speaking to the disciples in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, my kids, if you come to my house and you say, hey, what is your dad's favorite verse? I know this is, it's not that fancy or anything. They'll say, oh, Matthew 28, 19, we hear it all the time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, commands us to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything he has commanded. Therefore, go is not a suggestion. He's like, man, therefore, go. Like, man, that's a command, right? Um, It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say that we should just try to convert people and save them from hell. You know, when I first heard about Jesus, my parents had divorced and my dad put me in a Southern Baptist private school. And the reason he did this, he said, was because your mother won't discipline you, so you need to go to this Southern Baptist school so you could get discipline. And so, let me tell you, there was a lot of discipline there. Back then, when I was in school, they gave spankings to people in school. And so, they put us there. Well, the good thing about this school is they preached the gospel. We had chapel all the time. And during my time period there at this school, I probably gave my life to Jesus There's some, probably 17, 18, 20 times, said, man, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm all in. The next week, I was all out, (laughs) And so, it it happened so many times, and you know, it's like, Jesus didn't want that kind of Christian, didn't want somebody that was just like, hey, let's convert people and save them, and that's it. No, he wanted people that, he, he needed disciples that would reach the world and wanted, that could usher in his kingdom, not just casual followers or the multitude he didn't need rich lorenzo there with his 17 times saying yes i'll follow jesus and then living like hell the rest of the time so if you're here today and you're not a follower of jesus god calls his people on this mission to make disciples and he wants you to be a part of it as well so i hope you consider that today as we as we go dive into this and this morning i want to tell you a story from the old testament in the bible about a man who lived on mission a man who was a disciple maker a man who placed disciple-making as a top priority. Let me set the stage for you. So this, this story is not a book that most people read a lot, okay? So just give you the start out, we're going to talk about this guy named Ezra. So Ezra, the temple of God in the city of Jerusalem, has been destroyed, okay? And so all of these God's people are in exile, which means they're away from the land that God had promised, okay? So they're in this place called Babylon, Fifty years, nothing happens. They're just hanging out in Babylon. A guy named Zerubbabel rebuilds a temple in Jerusalem. So God says, hey, Zerubbabel, go build this temple and rebuild the temple in Ju- Jerusalem that had been destroyed. He goes and does it. Then, 60 years later, 60 years goes by, and we're introduced to this guy named Ezra. And he's a direct descendant from, of Aaron, the OG. And I mean, what I mean by that is the original chief priest. Okay. Ezra is living in Babylon, doing life, making disciples, and God calls him to this new job. His new job is go to Jerusalem and teach the people how to live according to God's law and build the community of believers. That's his command. Teach the people how to live according to God's law and build the community of believers. Ezra's like, cool, let's do this. It sounds like Ezra was probably being faithful in the place that God had him but he said God gives him a new challenge, and it looked like he was probably serving his community of exiles there in Babylon and doing a pretty good job, right? And God calls him to this this new thing. I want to make an important point right from the get-go. Sometimes in the mundane day-to-day, we don't feel like we're on any mission, but we are. Be present in what you're doing right now. Ezra was doing his work. He was just making disciples, just all around in Babylon, Not the place where he probably wanted to be, but this is where he's at. And then God calls him. This is what the Bible tells us about Ezra. In chapter 7, verse 6, it says, He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses. In verse 10, it says, Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. In verse 11, it says, Ezra, the priest, a teacher of the law, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord of Israel. This guy was legit making disciples, teaching, you know, learning, studying God's word. Um, Who thinks they're the biggest K-State fan? Is there any big K-State fans here? Anybody? Nobody wants to claim that? Nobody? Oh, the the man in the back. All right. Okay. What's your name? Nick? Nick? Nick, tell me what the most devoted K-State fan, what, what do they do that makes them the most devoted K-State fan? Uh, what are some things they would do? Go to the, game. go to the games, okay, what else? Uh, watch the game, lose. Okay, all right, what else? Uh, oh, he's got a tattoo, too. Definitely, he's a devoted fan, for sure. No tattoo, all right. So you, you, you're a devoted fan, man, they're watching the games, right? They're checking the stats of the games they miss. They know maybe the players and the coaches' names. They follow the team on social media. They give a lot of time. They're faithful in good times and bad. And right now in basketball, times are bad, right? Um, unfortunately. Hey, root for the team. That's right. There you go. That's right. They root for the team, good or bad. But Ezra was this way with the Bible and God's laws. He was a devoted fan. He's a teacher, well-versed in the Old Testament law. He's a disciple, and it looks like he's devoted to being a disciple-maker. He reads, researches, talks to others who are studying the Word. He dialogues about controversial subjects on Twitter until he gets censored. No, I'm joking. He gave a lot of time to understanding the Scriptures. He teaches others how to follow God's ways. He's a true disciple, right? But let's get back to the story. So this is gonna be a long journey. They're gonna need donkeys, food, security, probably because of the bandits, you know, and um, as I was reading this story, you know, th- it says, man, you don't know bandits. I'm thinking, man, bandits? I haven't heard about bandits in a long time. And I was reminded of a story. My wife went to Brazil a few years back to see a good friend of hers. And my, her friend lived in a, one of the barrios, very poor, and each of the barrios is controlled by a gang. And you're not allowed to walk in that barrio if you're not from the barrio. You get harassed. You get mugged. You could get shot. There's many things. So my wife is going there to visit her friend. We have two kids, and I'm like, oh man, you sure you want to be going to this barrio? She's going to be living there, right? But because she was with Michelle, when she would walk in, there's usually like a guard or some kind of gang members just hanging out right at the front entrance of the barrio. Because she was with My friend, or her friend, it was good. She's protected. There's no problems. She's safe. And so, in this journey, they're going to need protection from bandits. They're going to maybe need some tents, some herbs, medicine, in case anyone gets sick along the way. So how does Ezra get what he needs for the new mission? God gave him the mission, so he provides for the mission. We see in verse 6, there in chapter 8, the king granted him everything He asked. It doesn't say some of the things. It says everything he asked for the hand of the Lord God was on him. Anything he needed. Man, if he needed security guards, protection from the bandits, he had it, right? It says in verse nine, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. In verse 25, it says, and you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess. He possesses wisdom. And I like this last one in verse 27-28. It says, Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. You know, he needed courage. Man, this journey was not for the faint at heart. They were going to be going back to their land. They were going to have a lot of work to do. It, man, it's comfortable where he's at. It's easy. probably could be easy. It's where he grew up, likelihood. Man, he's going to need courage. You know, and I, me, I would probably need courage against the bandits. But he, he's like, man, it says God gave him courage. All right? So God, the owner of everything and the giver of life, provides you what you need if you have surrendered your life to his mission. And I'm sure Ezra probably didn't know much about logistics or security. He might have had a lot of anxiety about a trip of, of this magnitude. He likely didn't know what he would need. But God fills the gaps. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, do you ever feel overwhelmed by the obstacles in front of you? When you're on mission, God never fails you. You know, it's, it's so true that God never fails us. Finally, Ezra and his squad embark on the journey to Jerusalem. They get there, and what does he find? The first group of exiles, the ones that I mentioned that had gone with Zerubbabel, had gone before him, had become apathetic and unfaithful to God's, to God's mission. In fact, it says in chapter 9, verse 2, and the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. So the not, not only are the people unfaithful, but the leaders and officials had, also, had led in that unfaithfulness. Verse 3 says, When Ezra hears this, he tears his tunic and cloak, pulled hair from his head and beard, and sat down appalled. Gosh, he gets there. He gets on his mission. He's getting there, and this is what he finds. He's so, he, man, this sounds like an angry guy. He feels like, well, we won't say what he feels like. Ezra just gets here, and this place is a mess. What the heck? Like, man, I thought you were going to give me some solid disciples on fire to make other disciples. I thought I would have something to work with, a faithful disciple. Ezra goes dark. Like, he just goes into, like, a dark hole, a pit. God, we deserve your judgment. You could take us out at any time, and that would be fair. Basically, that's what he's saying. Maybe you guys have been that, been there. I know I have been there just recently, in the last couple of weeks. Just the other day, I was on my way back from a campus that I do ministry, ministry at, and I work with an athletic team on this campus. In a span of three days, we had been working with a, a, a guys that we'd been working with diligently get kicked off the team for silly stuff, threaten physical violence towards the coaches, ignite a firestorm of relational drama all over campus as it relates to race, kid tries to commit suicide, a lot of big personal, other big personal matters, all in a span of three days. You know, I'm on my way home from this place and it makes me just want to break down and cry. I feel like Ezra probably did, if I had any hair, I probably would have pulled it out. I mean, I'm like, what am I even doing? What is is our is what we're doing even making a difference? It, can I even make a disciple in this place? How will we ever make a disciple? I mean, just felt like just totally discouraged, you know. I, I maybe you guys never feel that way, but I felt that way. Back to Ezra, he's feeling crappy, and he, then he, then he, what does he do? What we all need to do when we feel this way, you know. He prays one of the greatest intercessory prayers in the Bible, actually. He is confessing, weeping, throwing himself down. You know, the Bible in, in these verses, it ta- has a lot of adjectives. It's very dramatic um, how he prays and, and, and really like confessing, weeping, throwing himself down, tearing his clothes. But, you know, God hears him. The people of Jerusalem repent. They turn from their sins and they make amends. Ezra helped spark a spiritual revival. His leadership proved crucial to the Jews' spiritual advancement. So how can we live on mission? You know, we hear this story about Ezra, and it's cool, and there's some cool stuff in it. There's some weird stuff, too. Um, but he, 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 he's living on mission. And how can we live on mission? I think our first point is be intentional. We have to be intentional. And the word intentional means to do on purpose, deliberate to do on purpose, deliberate. Ezra was intentional about teaching others how to live out his ways. And that sounds like a disciple maker to me. That never changes his entire life. It always was job one for Ezra. Ezra studied, lived, and taught the word. He was, an effective, he was effective making disciples in Babylon. So God says, hey, I need you over here to lead a new movement. It doesn't say that Ezra quibbled with God. He's just like, man, all right, I'm like, let's go. I can make more disciples, sure. I can start this new thing, for sure. You know, lately, lately it's funny. I, I, I work with a lot of young people, college students, mostly 18 to 22 years old. And uh, one day, I got a text from one of them, and it said, it was, it, it, all it said is, F-A-S-H-O, for sure. And I, I was like, wait, what is this? Like, the guy, I had texted somebody something, and they texted me back, F-A-S-H-O, I'm like, hey, this guy misspelled something? Did this guy, what? And then, I, and then I, I asked him, hey, dude, what does that mean? And he's like, for sure. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? So now I get all these texts from these guys that I work with, and they're all, they all always write. They end their, their texts with for sure, like that. And I'm, I'm, I just didn't know if that, that's a common thing or not, but it is for me now. Um, <laughs> but being intentional is about the decisions we make. The big ones, but also the very small ones. I wonder how many times Ezra sat down to study the Word of God when he would rather watch Netflix. You know? You have to become a disciple. If you're not one, you need to become one. You know, early on in my... In my um, when Jonathan was talking to you, I, met, I, I became a, really decided after the 20th time to follow Jesus. When I started following Jesus... I realized that, man, this time things were moving. I was, somebody was helping me grow. People were helping me grow in my faith and I was becoming a disciple of Jesus and I got offered a fancy job at a big law firm in Kansas City with a big paycheck. And I was thinking, man, okay, well, I got to move to Kansas City. And I said, wait, God, what do you want me to do here with this situation? I'm only been kind of like growing for five or six months as a believer if I move to Kansas City I'm away from my people that I've been helping me grow and I had to make a decision and be intentional about and I, and I felt like God told me man you need to stay in Lawrence like you need to stay in Lawrence I'm like God that's 55 miles each way to downtown Kansas City every day there and back is 110 miles and I'm going into the sun on the way there <laughs> and I'm going into the sunset on the way home that's bad news right there both ways and man, I did that for three years. But I felt like God called me to do that and I was able to stay in community with my small group, helping continue to, people help me continue to grow in my faith. It was an intentional decision to be a disciple maker. I wanted to learn what it took to be a disciple and I had to do that. I had to be around the people that were helping me grow. We have to be intentional. You know, we all make poor decisions. And, and, and you know, I, I think... I dedicated my time to learning there and I think I, I've tried to continue making intentional decisions. We all make poor decisions and lose focus sometimes but if you read the book, that, you read the book of, of Ezra you will see that he made a lot of wrong decisions too but he kept coming back to God kept choosing to seek Him. He kept coming back kept staying in the game and kept choosing Him. We're not always going to be perfect we're not always going to be making the right decisions all the time second point of how to live on mission is to be obedient. Ezra was obedient. God asked Ezra to go teach the people how to live according to his ways and to rebuild the community. He did it. He doesn't try to bargain with God. He obeys. And by the end of the book, Israel had renewed his covenant with God and began acting in obedience to him. In fact, the next book of the Bible, which in reality, historically, those books are together, is ne- the next book is Nehemiah. And our friend Ezra, middle of Nehemiah, Ezra's back, teaching to big crowds of people how to live according to God's laws. And then there's another revival in the land. The Holy Spirit maybe has been telling you to share the good news with your neighbor, co-worker, even a fellow student. But you're sitting on the sidelines in fear of what, what they might think of you. Are you going to be obedient when God calls you, the Holy Spirit, God, and God call you to go do something? And pray, ask God for boldness to overcome fear. Some of you students are worried about saying something to your professors or fellow classmates because you think you might get canceled by the culture. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you you should probably speak up. Maybe you should push back a little bit. Ask God for a big dose of courage to stand for his truth. We're going to hear a little bit about that in a few minutes from Massimo. If you if you want to live on mission, you must obey his promptings. You know, I I tell a lot of stories from my life, and that's because that's what I know. My wife is like, "Man, you're telling too many stories about yourself." It's like, "Man, I'm I don't. What else am I going to do?" I mean, and so you know, early on, I'm telling you stories from early on because I'm trying to give you perspectives of where I had to really believe God. And here's an area I had to obey God. I had come out of a serious relationship with a young lady. I was just building my faith. I felt like God told me, hey, dude, you need to focus on your faith. Stop focusing on ladies. Okay, good. All right, I'll do that. Well, I started working at that law firm. And these guys um, and my crew that I was working with, there was probably like 30 of us associates, young. Basically, associates do all the work at the law firm. The partners handle all the relationships, and you do all the work. And every Friday, we would have this thing called associate lunch. And we would get to go to the fanciest restaurants in Kansas City, and the firm would pay for it. That's a fun thing. And you could drink. And so that was really cool too, right, at the same time. So we're all there in associate's lunch. And now it's, this has been like a year or two. I hadn't been dating. They hadn't seen me with any ladies or anything. And we're sitting there, 25 or 30 of us, at this table, at a big table in a fancy restaurant, except back room. And a guy, like, one of the guys out of our whole big crew says, and, and, and this is back when you could say things like this. I don't know that you could say it right now. But he, he, in front of everybody, he says, Rich, are you gay? And I was like, what? <laughs> like This dude is, like, calling me out here, like, in front of everybody. He's asking me that question. I was like, I, was like, I didn't have to say anything. My buddy, Brian, who a guy that I had actually discipled, He had come to faith. He was a guy that some of you know. He was the guy that he was smoking pot. Number one in his class at Washburn. He's now a pastor in Arizona and Phoenix. He was smoking pot on I-35 on the way to work. Okay, then charging people two hundred dollars an hour. So I led him to Jesus, then discipled him and trained him. And over two years, we're like best buds. He jumps in front of this train for me. And it's like, Walter, what are you talking about, man? Rich is a solid disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. What are you talking about? He's just keeping himself, waiting for the right lady to come along. And I was like, whoa, all right. That's cool. That's cool. But God had told me to obey. I had to obey. It put me in a really awkward position there. That was really rough. I was embarrassed. I was like, man, there's 30 people there. And it, it was just a little. But God told me to obey. I had to obey. Sometimes he's telling you to do tough things you got to do it. you got to do it. Third point, sacrifice. Ezra had been living in Babylon for a long time. It was his home. He was comfortable. I know he had been in exile, but it was home. This was home for him now. He probably had a routine, some good disciples that he drank coffee with every day. People probably knew him in his community, well-liked probably. But God called him to move, to leave his home and go to Jerusalem and take on a hard task go to a new place, new people, new surroundings, new foods, new culture and teach these people how to live according to his ways. Not easy. Not easy. Many of you I mean have probably got up and moved from some of you that are come to college here, you probably lived in another town and maybe this was not that easy to man Manhattan, man new things, new I got to find new places to eat. Man, where are all these different people? You got to meet new people. That's one of the hardest things, right? Trying to figure out all the new people. When I was thinking about this sacrifice I'm reminded of verse in Matthew 16:24 through 26. It says and then Jesus said to his disciples, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What, will, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul?" Jesus is telling us we need to deny ourselves and to save our life, we have to lose it. And that's surely an upside down kingdom. That's so hard. That's so hard. Lose my life? Lose my comfort? Lose what, like, man, no, that's not, I don't want to do that. Back in 2012, um, I was in the financial business. I had been in the financial, I was a lawyer for three years, and then I went into the financial business, was doing it for about 11 years. And had a lot of success. And um, at that point, I was making six figures, good, really good six figures. Would probably make it for the next rest of my life. Re- really had a successful business that had built up. And God told me, hey, man, you need to go continue. You need to take this the next step. Yes, you're making disciples. But I have a new mission for you that I want you to help more, even more people and use, use your skills and abilities to help more disciples. But God, I'm making such good money. It's so comfortable. We just got some twins. And we have five kids. How are we going to do this? It's really hard. Financially, what the heck? And he's like, trust me, I provide. I provided for Ezra. I can provide for you. It's okay. We're going to do this. You're going to be all right. Okay. I did it. And I, I got out of that business, you know, And I'm sad. No. Um, no. (laughs) I miss the paychecks, but that's okay. Um, Ezra thrived during a very hard, dark time in the Israelites' history. He knew that the mission in front of him, and he attacked it with intentionality, obedience, sacrifice, and a whole lot of faith in God's promises. God didn't remove Ezra from the challenges of life, but he was was with him in the process. God had a bigger plan than what his natural eyes could see, God didn't ask Ezra to fix everything or change the whole world. He asked him, just do your part, bro. Just do your part. And God would keep. God would keep his promises. The same God is with us now, guys. The same God is with us now. That's exciting to me. I think I think if things feel hard in our world right now, we can be encouraged by Ezra's story. Man, because things seem hard. Maybe you guys aren't living in the world I am, but it seems hard. But he chose to live on mission anyway. He said, man, I'm, I'm going to live on mission regardless. And God is the same in hard times, good times, confusing times. He asks us to live on mission, and he always keeps his promises. Always. You know, what is your mission? What are you supposed to accomplish to expand God's kingdom? What are you supposed to accomplish to expand God's kingdom? Doing our part can seem daunting and even confusing at times. When you're on mission, you're getting ready and you are right where he wants you. It's a both and. Let me repeat that. When you're on mission, you are getting ready and you are right where he wants you. It's both and. It's not just preparing for this great moment. The journey is the great moment. The journey is the great moment. I want to stop right here, and I, I want to—I'll finish up in a second, but.